Good morning, I'm Jess. Um, today we'll be reading from Matthew 14, 13 through 21, which can be found on page 820 in your Bible. Matthew 14, 13 through 21. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away and go into the, to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to them, him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the, of the broken pieces left over, and those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, let me pray for us again. Father, thanks for your word, and um, I would just bring like a complicated heart to you. Uh, my heart feels like full of what feel like competing realities. Uh, would you help now in this place? And I would guess my sisters and my brothers feel something similar from the weeks they've had, from the questions they're wrestling with, from the loss and longing that they're experiencing so would you come now, would you speak? Would you speak a word about your kingdom that takes something small and is abundant? Would you speak a word about your compassion, about how you see us? Would you speak a word about hope that we have because you came? And, and would, you, would you help us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. Hey, let me do, <laughs> let me remind you why we're back in this passage again. If you're like, hey, we were here last week. Let me tell you why we're back in this passage again. And it's not a cheap tie to what we just talked about, but they are connected in my heart. To just stop and talk about like what it means to be in a desolate place where you're facing loss. And I think in a lot of ways that describes where a lot of you are and some of the sadness you feel with the way like women have been treated and things in our culture that just are not the way they're supposed to be. And you feel so much. What I want to do in this passage is, is kind of ask, how does Jesus encounter us in those places of loss that, that are actually described here as desolate places? So last week, if you were with us, we looked at this passage, and I felt the overwhelming joy and burden just to be positive, <laughs> to just say, hey, this is a great passage. And we joked a little bit about how, as your pastor, I tend to be kind of a glass half-empty guy, and one of the things about this passage that's super helpful is the passage shows that in the kingdom of God, the glass is filling up. So there's a lot to celebrate, like to stop and see Jesus work a miracle, to hear the sounds of that scene, to put yourself there, to hear children laughing, people both in wonder and being satisfied, seeing the goodness of God, the glory of God, experiencing the deity of Christ on display in ways that have abundance. 
I mean, it would just be a blast to be there. It would raise some questions. It would make you walk away going, man, what just happened? But your belly would be full. Your needs would be met. You would have seen Jesus for who he is. And you would have experienced the kingdom being shown to you in ways that start out small and then grow in ways where there's 12 baskets full. Five little loaves and two little fish feeding Thousands of people with tons left over is a metaphor for the kingdom of God. It's a real miracle that actually happened historically, and Jesus is teaching us something about who he is and what he's like, the same way he taught us in the parables in chapter 13, that it's like a mustard seed that starts out super small, and then it grows. It's like this pearl of great price or this amazing treasure. There's also judgment in the middle of the kingdom of God where we see in chapter 13. There's also like some confusion and there's some loss in there. So it's not just a clean, simple thing like everything is always up and to the right, which we noticed right at the beginning of the passage. And so last week I, I just noted with you in verse 13, we see Jesus hearing the news of his cousin John the Baptist dying. And the way the passage starts before it gets to the abundant provision is that Jesus in his sadness goes away to a desolate place. And the way that I see the world and I see your stories and I see the scripture, that catches my attention first with some compassion going, man, how do we actually navigate living in a desolate place? Like that's really important for me that we would be a kind of people that are prepared to suffer, prepared to have questions, prepared to live in desolate places with our God when things are sad and overwhelming, when people die unjustly. Where, where does God fit into that? And I wanted to come back to that, but I want to kind of note it last week, because I think the way we think about the provision of God doesn't like give you a choice, like either someone's going to die and be beheaded, or there's going to be 12 basketfuls, God does one or the other. I think they actually fit together. And I think Jesus' teaching about the abundance of the provision then shapes how we think about living in desolate places. What do you do when there's deep loss? What do you do when your heart is broken? And it raises a lot of questions for us about a God who has the power to take five little loaves and two little fish and blow it up and multiply it by the thousands. Why doesn't he do that all the time? Why isn't he doing that in my marriage? Why is he not doing that in my singleness? Why is he not doing that with my addiction? Why is he not doing that with my depression? Why is he not doing that with my anxiety? Why is he not doing that with my children? Why is he not doing that in the places where I just have this ache inside and I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and I'm trusting him and yet it feels like this desolate, desolate place. Why does God sometimes give us 12 basketfuls overflowing and sometimes have us in a desolate place? That's a question you're going to wrestle with your entire life. And what I love about this passage is the realism of it, that it pushes these two things together. There's no like scene change. The desolate place actually leads into this place of provision. They're, they're meant in your heart and mind to be connected. So we broke it up into two sermons, but I want to be really careful here. We're not talking about a dichotomy between the two. God actually provides for you in abundant ways in this desolate place. So my goal this morning is to just kind of circle back to this text and ask, how does God encounter us in the desolate place? What's he teaching us about his kingdom and his provision when it comes to the spaces of loss and longing? Because whatever we say about God's abundant provision, it has to also be true for John the Baptist. It has to be true for the guy who is unjustly in prison because he spoke the truth courageously in love to somebody. 
who actually lost his head because of the the lustful tyranny of a pagan king. It has to be true in that prison cell as it has to be true at your dining room table in the dark nights of your own soul. So Jesus, I think, is showing us the provision of God in the desolate place and makes us ask the question, how does God meet us there? What, what are we doing with those things? How do we engage the desolate places? Which, which again, in my heart is, is similar to where we were just a few minutes ago. Because that can feel like a desolate place. The desolate places have this broad definition. They're, they're, they're personal and they're societal. They're, they're physical and they're emotional. They're, they're in your present and they're in your past and they're in the anxiety of your future. Like It just kind of is this pervasive thing of living in a fallen and broken world. And even as I'm describing things the Bible says, some of you are like, well, hey, but you're not saying these things that really matter to me about this place of desolation. And you're totally right. Like, it's almost like too much to talk about the way we live in the fallen and broken world. There's just so much of our life and our reality and our experience that you could describe as a desolate place. The word is like a wilderness word, but it's not just like a geographic wilderness. It has this place of scarcity to it of loneliness, of of loss or lack to it. To be in a desolate place is to experience in palatable ways the need that you have. So so where is God in the middle of that? I want to walk through the passage and just kind of see what Jesus does in this text to give us some instruction. And I'll just walk through like four points. I want to leave us time to take communion and pray a little bit. I actually want to go kind of fast. And you're like, you are such a liar. I... (laughs) My intention is to go fast, uh, but this is super important, so I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I I do have less notes than normal, though. I'll tell you that. That's hopeful for you. Okay, first thing is this. The desolate places are simply part of living in a fallen and broken world. The first thing we see in this text is the desolate places are not the exception. They're just kind of the frame. They're the backdrop. They're the reality. Living in this world is living in desolate places. Therefore, we should expect them. I think the way the text opens up, as we see the life of Jesus just kind of showing us what it looks like to be in the kingdom, it's not an accident that he starts with this sadness. And so it gives us a category of like, God's not absent there, he's actually working there. The desolate places are not an absence of God's presence. It's a place where he he actually shows up. But if you just start with the reality, the way the text just starts, when Jesus heard this in verse 13, this death of his cousin, he withdrew and went to this desolate place by himself. And Jesus has prepared us for this. He told us in the Sermon on the Mount that, that the way the kingdom of God works, the people that are blessed are the ones who are brokenhearted. The ones who have need and and loss and lack, who need mercy and cry out for justice, those are the ones who who are experiencing the kingdom in ways that are are being called blessed. He's prepared us that the reality of living in this world is that we live in desolate places so we, we can expect them, which keeps us from being so knocked off our guard where we think God's abandoned us when we experience them. Jesus is setting expectations, not not lowering expectations, simply setting them. It's not as if you thought God was going to love you and bless you and do amazing things for you, but sorry, it's not like that. Lower your expectations to be with God. It's actually more desolate than that. It's not like that. It's the same way marriage is different than you thought, but it's not worse than you thought. It's just way different than you thought. It's actually better than you thought, but you have to get over some of the ways you imagine kind of an idealism marriage to be. 
And I realize it's a loaded illustration with a lot of the pain that we feel, because some of you would say, my marriage is the desolate place. But in that spot, what we just want to name is it's not that God has like promised us something and then he's backing off the deal. He's saying the abundant provision that I have for you meets you in this desolate place. But we live as if the desolate place is unfair. It's a surprise. God is doing something wrong. But just stop for a moment. Jesus steps into our world, takes on flesh. But remember who he's born to, to an immigrant family in poverty who immediately they're refugees and have to flee the country. He's constantly, he says, without a place even to lay his head. That God himself comes into our world, the incarnation shows us the expectation that God meets us in the desolate place. Very literally, God himself in the flesh meets us in the desolate places. So expecting it is a massive way that we engage with who God is in his heart. So that when things are hard, you don't feel ripped off. You can ask a different set of questions of God, like, where are you expecting that you actually are here, rather than that being a rhetorical question. It's like when parents ask their kids, what were you thinking? You don't actually imagine they're going to say, well, first I thought this. And then I weighed that out a little bit, and then I came to two conclusions, and I chose. It's a question of you weren't thinking, right? Sometimes we say, God, where are you? And we don't mean, I'm looking for you, I trust you, I'm hurting, but I know you promised to be with me. It's an accusation to God that you're not here. But if you expect him to encounter you as part of reality in the desolate place, then I think you actually begin to see him. Our our job as followers of Jesus is to actually embrace the reality of what he told us was going to be true. He said to his followers, you have to deny yourself. You have to die to yourself. If you follow me, you're going to face troubles of many kinds. You'll actually face persecution if you're faithful to me. If they hated me, what do you think they're going to do to you? This is the way the Messiah speaks. And it's not like some of us get that and some of us get 12 basketfuls. Both those realities are true. And learning to live in that desolate place is a key part of what it means to follow after Jesus. One of my jobs is to prepare you to sit in those desolate places And not like callous or unfeeling. Actually, I want you to weep louder. I want you to feel more deeply. I want you to be more in tune with the pain around you because all of it matters. The pain you feel and the pain other people feel matters deeply to God. This is not God callously setting up some sort of maze for us. This is God entering into our suffering with us. But we have to start with the idea that desolate places are part of living in a fallen, broken world. So we simply can expect them. We brought Wes in to do some training with our worship leaders, and we're talking about kind of finding our voice as a church, because we have three volunteer worship leaders that rotate, which is super fun and kind of challenging as we think about what that means for us. And so how do we have a place that's kind of consistent, even though there's different styles and maybe song choices, so it's not like a crapshoot every time you walk in, you're not sure what the heck's going to happen. So what is the voice of Hope Community Church is the question that we're kind of wrestling with. We talked about it has to be a gospel-shaped voice. That as you hear the songs, regardless of the tune or the style, you're hearing the gospel. That's got to be part of our voice. And then we had this moment yesterday we were talking about this kind of like feeble, vulnerable, accessible, normal, kind of average human thing that's happening in our church also being part of our voice. 
that there's like not a desire to impress you. There's not a desire to blow you away with performance up here, but actually asking you to participate with us. Actually, part of our voice is an accessibility that comes from not taking ourselves so serious and asking you to just come as you are. Because if our musicians can do that, then you're welcome to come as you are. If they're just up here as they are, then you can come as you are, which I thought that was super helpful. And then we talked about part of our voice has to be honest enough to make space for lament because that's the world you live in. And lament says the truth about the world that we live in. So confession and pardon and hearing every week, hey, we come in broken and we hear the truth about who God is, is actually part of the way we want you to hear and encounter God. And we talked about a little bit like it being a regular thing, like you just hearing this enough that it became normal to you, that you just expected that part of living in a fallen and broken world was encountering desolate places. And in one of our conversations there, Wes just sent me this little liturgy that that another tradition kind of prays regularly. And it was so beautiful. Let me just read it to you. Imagine if weekly you said this to yourself, setting expectations about what it meant to live in a fallen and broken world that had desolate places. Almighty God, whose most dearest son went up not to joy, but first he suffered pain and entered not into glory before he was crucified. Mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace through Jesus Christ, your son, our Lord. Amen. What if regularly you said, Almighty God, I know the way of walking with you is a way of suffering. The way Jesus actually encountered glory was first through the cross. And that sets my expectations of how I actually encounter the world around me. So so the first thing we see in the text is just like it's the next thing that happens. Living in desolate places is normal so we can expect it. Secondly, God meets us in desolate places so we can bring our heart to him there. God meets us in desolate places so we can bring our heart to him there. Look with me back in the text. After verse 13, where Jesus heard about the death of his cousin, he withdraws in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot to the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw the great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. They're coming to the desolate place where Jesus is, bringing their own forms of desolation. And the way he encounters them is to see them and show compassion on them. This text puts us in a space where we encounter the desolate places not as a mistake or something where God is absent, but where Christ actually meets us. And it says in verse 13, now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and they said, hey, this is a desolate place. The day is almost over. Send these people out so they can go take care of themselves. And Jesus said, no, 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 you take care of them. That God actually encounters us with a compassionate heart in the desolate places. To say the desolate places are normal is not a callous statement that you should just get over it. He actually encounters their desolation and sits in the desolate place with this compassionate heart where he sees them. Because he sees you, you can bring your heart to him. They bring all their sickness and all their disease into this space, imagining the God who led them there is going to find them there and show them the compassion that they need. Oh, friends, to hear that it's normal doesn't mean just lower your expectations. It's not going to be that great. Hang in there. To say it's normal is then to open up your eyes to imagine that God actually wants 
to meet you in those desolate places. He, he provides for you in those places, right? He, he has the abundant provision in that desolate place. It's not a separate thing. The 12 basketfuls of bread come in this desolate place. Do you see that in verse 15? This is a desolate place. And he takes these five little loaves and two little fish, and he multiplies them in ways that their needs are met, not just barely, but in ways that have abundance. And I know there are days you feel like you are barely hanging on. But the truth of this text is that God is actually meeting your needs. He's sustaining you in his compassionate heart. He's nourishing you and getting you through that space. And the bread just becomes a metaphor for his presence, right? Where Jesus says, like, I'm the bread of life. He's actually going to do a similar miracle uh, a little bit later. We'll feed 4,000. Just to show us that this is like a one and done deal. This happens. God God is the kind of God who, who meets us in this space. And not only does he care and have compassion, but he actually has a plan. Here's the third point then. God uses the desolate places, so don't just ask to get out of it. It's normal, so expect it. God meets you there so you can bring your heart to him there, and he's using the desolate place, so don't just ask him to make it stop. He teaches things in that space where as the miracles happen, you actually encounter God in brand new ways you wouldn't otherwise have encountered him. God is telling really long stories in the Bible, like, like really long stories, like millennium long stories, like stories of 40 years in the wilderness, 400 years of slavery, even Jesus' own obscurity for 30 years. He's telling really long stories. Your story is a really, really long story that God is actually doing something in the middle of. He's doing things that actually only happen in suffering to actually shape and conform and train you. He's teaching you things. He wants to teach his disciples, right? He brings them to the space where they experience their needs so they can see his abundant provision. It's like a a way station where they say, "I, I have this memory of God meeting my needs. I know he's the kind of God in surprising, unexpected, non-conventional, like uh, ways that don't make sense. He actually can come in out of nowhere and, and provide exactly what I need. And you only learn that by experiencing God meeting your needs in those places. We, we make meaning all the time from things around us. And your suffering, actually, you've attached meaning to that God may not actually be real or close to you. But a text like this gives a meaning to your suffering. It says, no, man, God wants to actually meet you in powerful ways in that space. He actually has plans for you there. So a couple things quickly. You learn about yourself in suffering. I did some reading this week through like uh, John of the Cross's Dark Night of the Soul and a couple of chapters in some grief books and even things about our own hearts like emotional awareness to kind of remember the way God encounters us in the desolate places, and you see things about yourself that only happen in pain. There are things that only grow in the soil of suffering. There are things about you that you only see when you suffer. Now, we should stop. That doesn't mean there's a one-to-one parallel of every pain you feel is a lesson God is trying to teach you. It's not an escape room you're trying to get out of. It's not like you got to learn the lessons, then you move on to the next level. You can leave this desolation behind. God wants to encounter you your entire life. He wants to constantly be showing you. But, but our um, kind of legacy as followers of Jesus is an awareness that God is refining and shaping and changing and growing and revealing things about me in my heart that only get exposed in suffering. It's, it's when I'm so hungry, 
I'm over my self-reliance. I can't see a way for me to provide for myself at all that I'll actually begin to look for God to actually meet my needs rather than leveraging my own strengths and abilities. It's the way that my arrogance and pride are exposed when I'm most anxious. Like, like I it was a mess a couple of days this week over some anxiety that I was feeling, like the judgmental thoughts I was having about other people not doing or doing things they should or should not have been doing, and the way I was judging that only happened because I was feeling really squeezed. And that's inside my heart. Like That's not like a thing that just comes and goes. That resides inside of me. But when I'm squeezed, it comes to the top so that I can actually see it. There are things God teaches us about ourselves in suffering, and our church would be a testimony to that. If there's things that only grow in the soil of suffering, the story of Hope Community Church is a story in so many ways of suffering, of loss, of, of, of years of frustration and confusion and not sure what's going to happen and not sure where God is in the middle. It's not sure how to go forward. And it's in that space exactly that God has shown himself to kind of expose things in our hearts, reimagine kind of for us what it means to be in the kingdom and do things in our church that actually only happen in that pain, which doesn't mean we say yay to the pain. We don't even like celebrate the pain, but to not despise it because we know God is doing something, let's just ask a different set of questions. There's a great little book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And he says in the spaces of our pain, God does at least four things. He gives us a greater level of an understanding of our own brokenness, which is actually a good thing. To see yourself more real is actually a really good thing. So it gives us a greater appreciation of the mystery of God. We have a higher threshold to have questions that don't get answered and still keep going. We don't demand like children to know everything about everything. We can actually live with some ambiguity and some mystery. He says we have a deeper ability to wait for God that only grows as you wait for God. That muscle only grows in the gymnasium of waiting. It only, it only happens in that space where you're, you're longing for something that you learn to sit in a place and long for something. And then he says you actually have a greater detachment from the pleasures and the allure of the world. And it's a follower of Jesus that can welcome the blessings of God and not demand them. Who can enjoy them and not insist on them who can thank God for all that he's doing and not feel like they're owed or that they are deserved. And it only happens in suffering. It's the way that we are refined in those spaces. And John the Cross gives like seven kind of categories that actually are this refining thing that happens. And the temptation is to think, okay, there's something wrong with me. That's why this bad thing is happening. I have to fix that thing so the bad thing stops. We just think in utilitarian, transactional ways with everybody, including God. But the long story of the scriptures is that it's more complicated than that. It's more mysterious than that. There's more going on in the layers of the desolate places where it's not a simple one-to-one parallel. Although we would stop and say, God is not wasting any of our pain. There is something to be had of, of learning and encountering him. But it's not as if you are in a remedial class of suffering until you figure it out. And then you get to graduate on to the next class. Christ loves us enough to refine us and to shake us and to change us. And he does it in the desolate places where we meet him and encounter him. So we learn about ourselves. We also learn about God in the desolate places. Right Here's this story about Jesus showing us what the kingdom of God is like. 
And you only learned that if you were in a space where you had thousands of people that were hungry and all you had was five little loaves and two fish. You only learned that God can take those five loaves and two fish and multiply it in such a way there's 12 basketballs left over. You only learned that on that mountainside where there's this desolate place where you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. And to watch God show up in that space, you only learn in those desolate places. So we're not trying to quickly get out of those because we're trying to encounter God for who he is. So, so don't judge me for this illustration. Some of you guys, you'll feel close to me. Some of you will feel better than me when I say what I'm about to say. This last week I was in Branson. So there it is right there. That's one of them. <laughs> I spent some time with my family at the Sight and Sound Theater watching the Jesus play, which I actually really enjoyed. Now there you go. The room just divided. You can think whatever you want to about that. But it was actually really well done. And there was places where Almost cried. I didn't cry. Almost cried multiple times in that space. And there were two scenes that stood out to me. There were questions to Jesus about why something was happening. And so it's Branson, and Jesus had a man bun at one point. So you got to get over quite a few things to kind of encounter that. But if you just sit and put yourself in the story, the one of them was the man who's born blind. And the disciples ask, why is this man born blind? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? Those are your only two choices. That's how this thing works. It's transactional. And Jesus says, oh, no, no, no. This happened so that your faith could be stirred and you could see God on display in miracles. Okay, we're not told how old that dude is. Let's just say he's 30 years old. For 30 years, he sits and begs blind. And they did a great job portraying like the the loss there and the need there and the dirtiness and the scorn that he would have experienced. Right? He wasn't like wearing a three-piece first century suit. He was in rags. And you see this long story, 30 years of blindness, so that in this moment God could show himself strong. And if you're the center of the universe, you say, that's not worth it. No way, Jose. But if he's the center of the universe, then seeing him clearly becomes worth it. Second one was in the scene of Lazarus. And it was really fun the way they portrayed him throughout the, the whole play. But it's that moment where Lazarus dies, and it's a dear, dear friend of Jesus. And, and his two sisters are dear friends of Jesus. And, and in their grief and sadness, they, they move to Jesus and say, If you would have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Truest thing in the scriptures. And yet he wasn't there on purpose so that he would die. And it says in the text that he did that in such a way so that God would show his power as he raised Lazarus from the dead. And as Jesus prays in that moment to raise him, he says, Father, I'm thankful that you're doing this so their faith could grow and it could be seen and you'll do something inside of them. The death of someone to show us something about who God is. Now, if our lives are simple like lessons and illustrations, maybe you go, hey, that's just not worth it. But if our lives are actually designed to see God for who he is, to, to know him for who he is, to experience him for who he is, then the suffering that he allows for us that helps us see him more clearly becomes a massive, massive gift. And because he's compassionate, it's not this callous, calculated thing. The desolate places are not mazes and traps for you to figure out. They are deep places of need and loss and lacking where God encounters you, shows himself to be strong, so you actually experience him. So Jesus shows up in those spaces in power. You learn about yourself and you learn about God 
in those places. And so I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're feeling. I know a lot of your stories, and, and I actually had those stories in my mind last week when we were prepping this text and going, man, I've got to stop and just help them see God in the middle of their suffering. Because a lot of you are struggling to go, and where is he in this place? And what I'm eager for you to understand is that the abundant provision of God is available to you and actually only shows itself in those desolate places. So you can bring your heart to him. He'll be met with compassion. You can ask for his help. He'll show you himself. And then here's the great gospel news. The story here is like in the middle, right? We're on chapter 14 of 28 chapters. The story ends with the death of Jesus, an amazing desolate place, where he'll quote Psalm 22 that starts with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Talk about a desolate place for the Son of God to be in that space there on the cross. But we see that God allowed his Son to go through the desolate place to actually redeem that and heal it and make a way for all things to become new. So there's the fourth point. Jesus came into our desolate places to actually change them, to transform them, to redeem them, so we can trust him. Jesus came into our desolate places to change them and transform them and redeem them so we can trust him both now and for our future. The provision in that passage is not different than him walking us through the desolate places. And I know it raises more questions for you, but God is a God of the desolate place. And the cross of Jesus shows us his power most clearly in the most desperate and desolate place. Where the thing about you that is actually most desperate, your sin and brokenness and your alienation from God, he comes into that place with his abundant provision. He doesn't just give you barely enough to get by. He atones for your sin in ways that don't just zero you out. It welcomes you and adopts you as a daughter and son, forgives you, puts robes on you and rings on you and welcomes you into his family in abundant, abundant ways. And what these 12 basketfuls kind of point to in shadows, we see in full form on the cross of Jesus. And he's pointing us even to another day and another meal where there'll be an abundant feast where finally all things are made new which is where our ultimate hope is at. I'm not sure where you find yourself, but God cares about where you are and wants to meet you in that place. Would you bow your head with me? Would you just take a second, ask God to speak to you in this place, ask him to help you in this place. Ask him to stir faith in you in this place. Communion is a picture of another bread and a cup that represents the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf where our sins are atoned for through his broken body and shed blood. It's a symbol for Christians of their faith, trusting Jesus for their righteousness and for what they need in those broken places. For all who believe in Jesus, I invite you to come and take communion. Those who are not yet trusting Christ, would you stay in your seat? There's prayers in the back of your bulletin that would give you some guide of what it would sound like to talk to God. But would you just pray in that spot if you're not trusting Jesus? And if you are, I want to ask you to come. And as you taste this bread and this juice from this cup, would you remember what he did on your behalf? And then just ask him to meet you. Ask him to show you the compassion that you need. Ask him to help you see what what he's like and where, where you are. And would you actually ask him to stir your faith that he came to make all things new. Jesus, we trust you. We need you. 
We ask for your help. Would you minister now to us in the room by your spirit, even as we remember in a very particular way your sacrifice for us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I come when you're ready.